Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Inner Fight Podcast. I have two guests with me today. Both of them, a lot of you, well, if you come to the gym or if you've been around our gym environment for a little while, we'll probably know. Jamie Clark and Milos Pesic. These guys are here to talk about culture and environment. I got them in because I think both of them have come from really interesting places, which we talk about in the show. They've also had very interesting and different upbringings. They've also both been involved in team sports, although those team sports are different. And they're both incredibly good coaches and they're very good to motivate and deal with people, but for different reasons. So to bring them to the podcast together, I thought would give you a lot of value. The conclusion of this show is it's inconclusive. I'll leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 758 of the Inner Fight Podcast, where we're talking all about culture and environment. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Inner Fight Podcast. Milos, why do you look so nervous? Mate, I can't believe it's the first time we get you on the show. Yeah, first time. 755. Do you have uh, any notes? Uh, something. Do you, do, do you know what we're going to talk about? Environment. Environment. <laughs> global warming. Ah, he wants to talk about global warming. And also, second time, third time, Clarky on the show? Second time. Only second time. Second time, yeah. All these other guys taking, uh, taking the spotlight from you guys, huh? Yeah. Milos, when I say culture and environment, what does it actually mean to you? Let's start there. And no, not global warming. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, uh, you want to talk about Dubai <laughs> culture? Yeah. But because it's what? multicultural and unbelievable. Like, you can, like, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, the, it's completely different than anywhere I've been. Let's go back to your childhood, mate. Yeah. When you were growing up, what do you remember about... You're, you're, you're huge on energy. Yeah. You <laughs> said something the other day which was, was, was super powerful. You know, you, you, you sort of... You can feel people's energy and you give energy based on the energy you feel. When... How did you develop that? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Like, uh, when I was a kid, I was chubby boy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I was always active and... Uh, like it just came i don't know i started playing i was playing a lot of sports i couldn't find myself yeah i was trying to be cool boy in the school playing basketball but didn't go and um uh, and uh, to be very honest because some of my um childhood um problems mm. i was very i don't want to say violent kid but like i was having problems on the street and yeah. uh I found myself on a handball. To be honest, we don't have a rugby in Serbia, so it might be rugby. <laughs> <laughs> but handball is kind of the soft version of the rugby. Yeah. And that's how I was honestly transferring all my energy to the handball. And uh, luckily I was playing handball because now as I'm growing up, I'm realizing that I really have a lot of energy. Yeah. And uh, luckily I'm in the fitness so I can 
relieve this, you know, like get rid of it, get rid of it. Yeah. So what I mean, and then then you move to I mean, we fast forward fast, but then you move to Kuwait and it's yeah. like this massive cultural shift. Completely different to everything. What was the first thing you noticed when it came to sort of culture and environment in Kuwait compared to where you'd come from? Whew. To be very honest, like, uh, um, how to say this separation between female and male? Yeah. That was a huge shock for me. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, because I, I went to Kuwait when I was 22, turning 23. So I landed when I was 23. It's like right. pretty young, nothing. Like just, I went over there just to have fun. I didn't <laughs> even know anything about Kuwait. Really? Yeah, even my friends, I was in process for six months for visa. And my friends were like, do you know anything about where you go, what you will do? I said, nothing. I just want to be surprised when I land. And that's <laughs> it. Honestly, I didn't know anything. So when I reached over there, my first job was in a male gym. And I was like, wow, like, that's it. <laughs> there is no mix. So yeah, like before I traveled, to be honest, my parents, my mom told me like, just don't be deported because girls, because we know how, I mean, like a normal conversation can happen. Yeah. So on the way to Kuwait, I had a transit in Dubai. So I went with my mindset like uh, no conversation with ladies. <laughs> you don't know. I mean, like you have no idea where you go. Yeah. So I was waiting a flight to Dubai to Kuwait, and a couple of girls came to me and they were like, um, "Do you want some chocolate or something?" I was like, "Thank you, I'm okay." And they started asking me questions. I was like, "I can talk to you." <laughs> they were like, "Yes, you can." I said, "Like this is not." This is allowed? What year are we in here? Like 2012 or something? Yeah, uh, 2013. Yeah. And she was like, yes, you can talk to us. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So, like, idea of everything, uh, of culture, was presented very bad uh, in Serbia. Yeah. So, but in the end, when they reached over there, yes, uh, it was honestly shock because separation of everything. But I kind of got used to it because when I used to live, uh, I used to live in Kosovo, which is the south part of Serbia. Right. And we had Muslim, uh, mm, uh, like a majority of the Muslim. Right. So, I mean, mixed cultural and uh, uh, what's called, uh, uh, we had the Christians, we had uh, like Catholics, Orthodox Orthodox. and Muslims. Yes. So. So I had kind of mix of culture around and kind of experience, yeah. but nothing like, like that. <laughs> Interesting. Let's hold that thought. Clarky, talk to us. You grew up in a country that to the world is very sort of culture driven. Yeah. And I think that stems probably a lot from their nationality or the um, the Māori culture, which was obviously the initial settlers within New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and it was largely based around family and staying together, not just your close family, but then around your tribes or your wider group of, of uh, families. So I think that's kind of where it stems from. And then, again, because we're so... We're a competitive country in sport that brings us together... Are you, are you really? <laughs> for a small nation, we're not too bad. Yeah. Um, and from that, you know, growing up, 
and being involved in those types of teams and clubs and things like that, it's just, it's not taught. It's just, you just grow up knowing that that's the way it is. It's quite how weird. do you, yeah, that's, that's the kind of gist I think I always get from New Zealand. But how, how is it, what does that mean? Like it's not taught, you kind of just know. Like that's pretty nuts, right? Yeah, I guess it, it, I, circumstances, my family might have been, if I can talk on my own experiences, my father was Māori, yeah. so we had a, a big cultural upbringing from that aspect, and maybe that just kind of fed into life for me, both personally and in sport. Yeah. But then once you start getting into any sports teams within New Zealand, whether it's school or once you leave school, culture is, is driven pretty hard. In what way, mate? I think initially once you're in whatever community you're getting into, automatically those become family almost, brothers, sisters, depending on what sport you're playing. And then I think it's driven from the top down yeah. in the ideal world. And maybe it's just the way we grew up and the way things are always, without thinking about it too heavily, it's kind of just the way it's always seen to me that you just step into an environment You've been brought up a certain way. You acknowledge the fact that you're going into the space, and you treat everyone the way you should be treated. And yeah, driven from there. Um, I don't think there's anything special about what New Zealand does or the way we do things. I think it's kind of just <laughs> it's a small country syndrome. Maybe we're just down there alone, hiding out and and doing things. What's the population of Serbia? Uh, seven point something. What's the population <laughs> of New Zealand? I think it's, it's about four and a half million now. Yeah, but so I think you're much bigger, uh, like a land, land, mass. land mass. Yeah, yeah we're spread out. Yeah, for sure. Mate, you said that you went into a handball team. Yeah. I've, I'll put it in the way that I understood it. You went off the streets into a handball team yeah. and it kind of saved you. Yeah. What, what do you mean by, like, it saved you? And how did that team save you? Uh, I'm not bothered <laughs> about what you did on the streets, but I'm, I'm no, yeah. interested to understand that team environment and how the impact that it had on you. Uh, first of all, I was um, all in into trainings, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know. I I, I felt um, like I belonged to that place mm. somehow. Uh, problems that I had on the streets was only because we moved from south into on the north of Serbia, and you know how it's, I mean, like mm. kids, they can be rude, you know. So <laughs> all the time, so I was pulled out nonstop, and especially because I was chubby. You're chubby as a kid. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, but I think I, w yeah, I was chubby. Yes, but um, one part of my life was uh, stressful, and I think that was very related to this. So I, in that period of uh, you know, like one year, less than a year, I gained a lot of weight. Mm. So and this this reflect on on my um, I don't know how to say. Um, on the streets, I was pulled out all the time, mm. and uh, especially if you are bit very new in the in the neighborhood, you know. Yeah. So I started playing handball. I felt over there that I really belonged to that team. Coach was very nice, very polite, and it's hardcore to be honest. Like uh, handball today and handball twenty years ago cannot compare at all. Right. Like it's a really tough sport. Mm. So once you realize that you can feel full impact 
from someone and you can <laughs> apply as well. <laughs> you can release a lot of energy. Which did you prefer, applying or feeling? I was the fan player, so right. yeah. Applying. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's how I, I found myself over there and uh, I was like, okay, this is the place where you should be. Yeah. Uh, to be very honest, I didn't even think for first few years, but like, you know, one day I just woke up and I was like, oh, it's been two years, three years I'm doing it. Then I was invited in a camp of the national team and uh, all these camps, some tournaments. First time I ever travel out of Serbia because handball. Right. So this is the opportunity that I got from the sport. Yeah. So He said something interesting there, Clucky, that I think you almost said as well, like, he was in this team for two years and didn't really notice. Like, it's easy for us to sit and reflect and ask questions around, like, the impact that teams had on us. But you, you kind of said the same thing. It's just, it just happens. So as youngsters, do we just let it happen? Does it just, and we just roll with it? And maybe it's when we become older that we become more aware of the environment that we're in and the culture within that environment and the impact that it has on us. I think so. I, if I look back, for me, the first teams that I was ever involved with was me sitting inside the changing rooms of either netball or rugby where my mother and father were coaches. Right. So if I look back at that and the way that they were and the way they acted around as coaches of those particular teams and the way they handled players, the way they spoke to people... Yeah. Netball was a little bit different to the rugby side and the way my dad spoke was a little bit different to the way my mum spoke. <laughs> but I kind of see that now in both of, both of their styles and coaching techniques and the environment that they created within their teams. I see that actually quite a lot now that I think about it in the sports that I coach, especially the teams or the way I control a room with people, yeah. respect I give and, and so on. So for me, it probably started a little bit younger from that aspect, but obviously when I started playing, and I can only remember really back to high school and the different sports and stuff. Same, but the same thing applies. The way that I saw things done from my experiences growing up was the way that I kind of created or dealt with the situations that I was in when I was. Looking back on it now, mate, what what are some of the things that you remember, like your parents as a coach? What do they stand out as, and and maybe what are they in your coaching now? I think for both of them, whenever they spoke, no one else, everyone listened. Oh, just like uh, teaching a class downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that came probably as a form of, of respect more than, more than anything, i.e. they'd earned the respect of the people that they were coaching, so therefore they kind of sat and listened. And when yeah. people needed to be told something, they were told, and they were told directly, and things were sorted out on the spot. And probably more so when I'm coaching team sports, I kind of see that a lot in the way that I deal with the guys. And then the way that they would speak individually, one-on-one -on -one with individuals is probably more how I see it in this current setting yeah. as well. I mean, most people know that I'm quite relaxed. They were obviously both quite relaxed, but when things needed to be done, they got done. How do you think they, they earn that respect though, mate? Like, because they're able to get, where do they get, how do they get to that point where people listen when they talk? Yeah, I guess, again, from the time that when the teams that they were coaching, they were the top provincial sides within right. the country. Right. So they were, my dad broke his neck playing rugby and retired really young. Right. Um, so he was a very, very young coach, very successful through club, and then went on to provincial level in rugby. And my mum the same. Mum turned into a, quite a top level netball coach. So the people they were dealing with and the respect that they had just came from 
years of experience or, yeah. or whatever it was. It was obviously a little bit different. I think it was professional back then. It was all yeah. it was all amateur yeah, as well. Right. So they still yeah. had full time jobs. They're still managing this, that, and the other, and bringing up my, my me and my brother and my sister. So it's completely different. But the way that they dealt with things, again, when it's not your full time job, is also quite interesting. Yeah, right. mate. Describe to us the, your coaches in those two years in the handball team. You must have some quite yeah. clear memories <laughs> yeah, of them. And, I mean, and only one guy. Just one guy. Just one ran guy. Ran the whole show. Yeah. He was in charge for uh, youngsters. Yeah. Like, uh, we called them pioneers. Yep. And uh, he was just tough, very tough. Like, I mean, like, we have this... We are very far from Russia, just for everyone to know. <laughs> I thought, no, <laughs> we won't but, go there. <laughs> but, like, we have this um, similar mentality that everything has to be straightforward. Yeah. And uh, you, and we don't have mentality of being, um, war- you don't get warnings. You get punished straight away. <laughs> yeah. So, he was like that. And... And that was what, what cleared the team, you know, from 60, 70 kids, we end up on a 14 of us, and that's it. From 14 of us, I was the only one from my generation making up to Team A. Right. So, you know, like from, if you look bigger picture of it, you know, like in seven years, just, I was there. Wow. Then later on, like, uh, thankfully now, everyone is doing a little bit different. And yeah. with all this philosophy and everything they can keep kids longer over there but like yeah. uh, it was just kind of survival you know like uh, the toughest will stay I don't want to say I'm the toughest but no. like I just found myself that I belong there so what do you think about that mate it's obviously changed now as you said like yeah. before it was a case of survival of the fittest and we only want tough guys in the team and now through through different things that have happened that's probably not the case anymore What's having come from that side of it that it was tough and it was black and white and the yeah. guy was no bullshit yeah. to what's your thoughts on the way that things maybe are now different? I don't know. I mean, to be very honest, I think kids are at the moment very protected in one way. I understand there is mm. so many psychopaths around <laughs> to be honest and yeah. crazy people, but, um, uh, I think it's going to be perfect if they if they can find themselves on halfway. Mm. So, like, I mean, like, I can't imagine myself getting warnings. Right. I know it's not going to work on me that yeah. time, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. I, nowadays, you get one letter, second letter, third letter, <laughs> and you're like, okay, let's talk in the face to face. Wait, yeah. you're yeah. out or you're in. Yeah, uh, I just want to go back on a question um, uh, regarding uh, your parents. Mm. I believe that everyone who never played team sport, mm. it's it's find very difficult to teach something like team sport or huge classes mm-hmm. because they don't have a, they were never in the audience of the. Yeah, yeah. You understand what I 100%. mean? Hundred percent. So either you are very born. Yeah. To be individual who can teach group of people yeah. who never had experience be, being thought. Mm-hmm. Or you are just, you went through this and you have kind of experience and knowledge. Yeah. And, and um, you know the way how you can attract that everyone should listen to you. Yeah. 
with your experience or your knowledge or you just know how to deal with a group of people. But do you not think that that's maybe not only from a coaching standpoint, that's also from a, for example, in our setting, that's also from a client standpoint. You can tell the people that maybe haven't had exposure to team sports because they don't know how to behave in a, in a class environment because they've never been in an environment where they, where they have to behave as a team. They've been, they've been taking part in individual sports, be it swimming or, or maybe no sporting background. Like a lot of kids, even in, in, in our times, didn't play sport. So therefore they've not learned the skills of how to behave within a team. You go into a class and immediately you engage this handball brain or, or, or you go into a class, Clark, and you engage this rugby brain or what you've been taught when you're younger and that's how you should behave. When the, when the teacher or the coach is talking, you just shut up, you know? And, but some, somehow there's a, there's a disconnect. So maybe it's on both sides of the, both sides of the border. Ah, 100%. I think your experiences <laughs> dictate a lot of things, right? Yeah. What do you have or what you have not experienced? And you definitely notice, not just in our environment, but in any environment, the people that have grown up participating in teams or being involved in a company with lots of people, if it's we get off the sporting field, um, or jobs that may not necessarily require you to talk to anyone else. Yeah. Just solely focused on that particular job and they don't deal with anyone. They just, there's nothing wrong with them. Don't get yeah, me wrong. They just mm. have a, a different outlook and a different way of dealing and in uh, different environments and it's Mate, interesting talking about the sort of more corporate environment moving away from sport you obviously worked in in the corporate environment what things did you maybe take from sport and culture that you learned growing up from your parents and 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 from team sport and put into your work in the corporate world i guess that's probably why i entered into the the hospitality industry yeah from my experiences growing up and just enjoying being around people and obviously being in New Zealand, the opportunity that it would have given me or has given me to be able to travel to the other side of the world um, and deal with different people. But in those environments, in the hospitality or the service industry, you can't work alone. Right. You have to rely on other people to get things done, whether it's working in a hotel, you just can't rely on the front desk to do anything or whatever it might be. So there's always an opportunity just to work with people and work together to get whatever it was that needed to be done done and that's probably why I kind of ventured into that space yeah um, if I'm completely honest sport was never something I wanted to pursue um, as a profession like playing rugby or anything like that because mm. I just enjoyed playing a lot of different sports and being involved in a lot of different communities rather than focusing on one particular thing which I think you need to do in order to be successful yeah in a particular sport so for me I think that's when I look back on it, 100% why I kind of ventured into the, the path that I did. Because mm. I didn't, we didn't travel as kids, so I wasn't exposed to hotels or big fancy hotels or anything oh. like that. The first time I left New Zealand was when I was 20, well, maybe about 19 or 20. Mm. And that was only to Australia. As a part <laughs> of the university that I was studying at was to go and work away for six months in a hotel. Right. So I didn't, it's not like I had exposure to that stuff, obviously. Growing up in New Zealand, you'd kind of just live a standard life, but then to come and to do what I did and to be where I've been is probably the right pathway to where I've ended up now, I think. Yeah. Talking about pathways, Milos, let's go back to Dubai Airport and yeah. you speaking to the girls that you were told not to speak <coughs> to. Yeah. Mate, when you 
when you move to Kuwait, obviously, the for those of you that listen that haven't been to Kuwait, it's not quite as bad as you might think. Yeah. But I think when, not, when no. you went there in 2013, there was definitely separation. So how does someone who's used to this sporting background yeah. and having people and having like a strong culture and having this coach, your head coach, black and white, move into an environment like the Middle East that's super multicultural, there is no black and white, everything is, especially if you're from certain countries, everything is negotiable. What was that like, mate? It was shock. <laughs> Number one, shock, um, like as you said, everything is negotiable. Yeah. <laughs> Reps, yeah. everything. <laughs> everything. You reach, like, you, you give us some exercise to, to member or anything or client, doesn't matter who. And they were like, can we do two less? So like, we are not on market. <laughs> like, it's for your good. Anyway, like, it was honestly shock. First of all, was shock when I entered first time taxi over there and uh, you don't take a taxi in Kuwait. I'm not sure how it's now, but like when I used to be there, until you negotiate the price. Yeah. Like you have to negotiate the price and that's it. Otherwise you're going to pay maybe 100 times more. Right. Literally 100 times more than it's worth it. No meter. Uh, they have over there like, uh, I don't know if... It's not on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, decoration. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I... When I went over there, uh, first of all, I had to deal with um, completely new nationalities that I never had chance to meet, mm -hmm. to be very honest, like uh, Arabs, mm -hmm. uh, Indians, uh, British. So everything where I, where I used to travel before was um, like uh, Europe. Uh, the furthest I went like uh, was Hungary, like just next to Serbia. Yeah. Or Italy, yeah. Uh, but uh, I can relate this that I don't know how I didn't travel anywhere as well as you said, like I didn't go any um, fancy hotels. I didn't have any experience of meeting different cultures and things around. Mm. But somehow I found out I found myself very adaptable. Right. And I adapted. I mean, like once you are in the system you are in the system right you have to either you you swim with uh, uh, right. on the river with the current or no <laughs> you're out yeah so before kuwait i was in us for six months and um, my goal was to stay there somehow doesn't matter how even though my friends are some of them are still there over there without any papers really suffer yeah big time like uh, from this side i see it right <clears throat> it suffer so and uh, I came back to Serbia, I had a conversation with my sister and she, was, she mentioned once that you had one chance, you lost. Make sure that you use another chance. I mean, wow. she didn't say anything bad to scare me, but it's been almost 10 years. I have this in my mind and I will never forget. Wow. So that's why when I got a chance to go to Kuwait, I was like, I have to... Have to make it work. Yes. Yeah. Anyhow. You have to adopt yourself in the cultural, in the society, on everything. Just so, how did you react, mate? You've got you've got this thought of from from your mum saying don't speak yeah. to girls, from your sister saying don't, don't screw this up, and a guy telling you he doesn't want to do the exercises that he's paying you to teach him. What did you deploy? What did you implement? And how did you get through it to stay there for eight years? Eight years. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure. I I, I look. 
I love challenges. If no, <laughs> if yeah. someone knows me, they, they know that I love challenges. And uh, this was kind of challenge for me, you know, that uh, you have to deal with completely new culture, but you yeah. have to get, you have to move with them. Yeah. So every day was challenging. Yeah. Literally every day was challenging, but I never saw this as a bad challenge. You know, I was growing every day. Yeah. Second thing that's very important, I went in Kuwait, my English was very poor. Very, even now my English is not good, but like I can communicate with you yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> <on the> sometimes, <laughs> as <laughs> Jamie said. <laughs> so, uh, but like, and th- this was an extra challenge for me. Mm. I said like, okay, I was in US for six months. I got some basics and I have to use this there. And my, my if you know my first PTs, it's, I used to work out with oh, entire session with them. Because Demonstrating. Yeah, I didn't know how to say exercise. <laughs> so I had to do with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this was kind of extra challenging, but like, um, I, I, to be honest, I have, I don't know how, I just, I just adopt somehow. <laughs> I woke up one day and it's been maybe six months, then I got offered to be head coach there mm. in my first studio. After six months, I became, uh, after one year, I became a manager of this studio. Studio was very small. It's only three three PTs, but like mm. we had many clients. Yeah, uh, everything was based on thirty minutes. <laughs> so yeah, so daily sometimes you have sixteen PTs wow. back to back. Wow. Yeah, but then um, again, challenge pulls you out. Yeah, of course. You don't think, and I think I ha- I never had a time to sit and think about, think about it. any. <laughs> so everything was spinning very fast. Yeah. that you just just. Clarky, yours is not much different if the first time you came over to the Middle East was when you're like 20. The culture shock must have been huge. And you were first here and then in Doha and then back here. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a culture shock. <laughs> 2008 was when I arrived and I was obviously based in Abu Dhabi yeah. in an environment that there was just so much money in a $3 billion property where people are paying 50,000 dirhams a night to stay. <laughs> and I've come from New Zealand and these guys, and <laughs> I'll be standing in the lobby and Shabrichard Ransom walks past, Beyonce Knowles walk past. Like these are the type of people that, and kings and queens and so on. So, and when I got offered the job, I, was, I just looked at it and I was just like, this has got to be a joke. <laughs> and the funny thing is that it was a, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a joke. But it was obviously a, a, a Middle Eastern property managed by a German company. Right. So, oh. the, so the management company, Kapinski at the time, was obviously a German base. So again, you start to see culture and management styles from that angle. But yeah. then you obviously have the Middle Eastern way of doing things. And, and it was interesting to see. But as you, in those bigger corporations, as you know, there's almost cultures within departments because there's so many and the structure is so high yeah so my line manager was a new zealander right so we got on and we knew yeah. and we related to each other he set a culture in the office that i understood which right. made it a lot easier to transition into an environment that i had no idea what was yeah. going on um you know 1200 1500 staff type thing so loads of different nationalities and the role itself was in HR, but there was a little bit of sort of looking after employment relations side of things. So 
again, organising the football tournaments for the staff or the sports-related staff to give yeah. them extracurricular activities that, to do outside of work right. to make to keep them happy. So that also fitted into my remit and probably why part of the reason why I was, I was brought over here. And then when I shift from there to Qatar, a uh, Qatari-based firm, huge company again structure wise and then again my line manager happened to be New Zealand <laughs> this is not a theme <laughs> obviously just been poached by by Kiwi managers but again it gave me an opportunity to experience something different yeah and completely different culture to the one I was used to and the environment and the way that things worked um, and then obviously coming back to here joined again another Kiwi based yeah, right. firm for a little bit and then obviously joined here, but again, obviously you're not Kiwi, but I know I knew who you were and your background, and I knew that the culture environment would be something that I'd fit yeah. into. And I guess when I've been looking for jobs and stuff, I think that's been quite a key thing for me: is will I fit in, and will it be an environment that I'm happy to work for? Why don't more people do that, mate? Because you hear a lot of people, right? And they they hate the office, they hate the people, they hate. You know, whereas here we're trying to, like, we generally want people to be happy that are coming in, in but, and it's, but it's not a priority for so many people. So ah. many. So many. I think some people are driven by, obviously, money. Yeah. Uh, and I think, ultimately, they'll figure out that that's not what makes them happy. <laughs> um, I guess I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to make those decisions myself. Yeah. Whereas I think some people kind of have to make decisions based on other circumstances. Mm. I need to take this job because it's the only one that's in front of me or, or whatever it is. Yeah. But I think if you, if you step back and you realise that okay, maybe I'm not in a terrible situation, I can actually pick and choose where I want to work. And I think some people yeah. just take it out of necessity more than anything and get stuck in this realm of being comfortable. Yeah, it's um, a cottage. Sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, today I had a conversation with one of my clients and uh, she said, um, I thought that we have only that problem in Serbia that uh, you have to be happy with what you have. With what you have, yeah. And like, okay, but like if you're not happy what you have, you should look for something you better. Could, you could change it. You could change. Yeah. For example, like my parents, they, they, they worked entire life at the same work. Mm. And wow. they were shocked when my sister, after 10 years of working, she came home and she said, I'm looking to change a job. And they were like, no, you cannot. Really? Why? Because this is not how it goes. She was like, but I'm not happy. I want to grow. I want to develop. So it's mentality. She, in Serbia, we have that stay where you are. Yeah. In comfort zone. Don't try to move around. But is the zone comfortable if she's not enjoying it? You never know because yeah. you are scared by society and everyone around you and you hear stories and you don't have a power to change, yeah. to be different, yeah. just to be different. Yeah. So this morning I had a conversation with, uh, with clients, she's from UK and uh, she mentioned same. I was like, oh, I thought we only have this problem, but she was like, no, but maybe she's coming from very small part of the... Um, I don't think, think so. I think it's mate. everywhere. Yeah. 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 So, so, but I think this is very related that with, with the courage and support mm. somehow. I think some people just think they don't have a choice. Yeah. And it blows my mind. <laughs> no one, unless you're at the very top of your game and you're headhunted and you're, and you're in an organization where you're actually, it's the only, 
like the best sports team, that's where you want to play and I'm going to play there regardless of what the culture or the environment's like. That's where I need to be seen. Yeah. 99% of us don't need to be anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Or working for anyone. Yeah. yeah. In particular. Yeah. Everyone needs to work, possibly. Of course, yeah. Go and work for the, the people that you want to work for. Yeah. An environment that makes you happy. It's but I guess uh, it's what you said, mate. Like most people, their main priority is what's the salary? Whereas your main priority has been what's the culture? What are the people like that I'm going to spend <laughs> more time with than my wife? Yeah. You know, and, and how, does, how do they treat me and what's, because that ultimately is what's going to make you happy. Yeah, I think so. I don't think, again, I was always making a choice on one, is it a, a decent brand to work for? I think that was yeah. quite important for me and, or, and like anything, what sports team am I going to be involved with? These guys, why? Because they have a good reputation. So cool, now let's go and check it out. Yeah. If it turns out to be shit and it's not for me, then you step yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a, a Serbian thing. It's a, it's no, I, global I, I global thought thing. Until and a generational thing as well. Maybe, my yeah. parents have always been teachers. They might not be at the same school, but they'd never venture Change. out into yeah. a different career. Yeah. And the Middle East is unique in that you can kind of just Switch. do one thing one day and the next day <laughs> you're a CEO of something else and away you go. But I think it's generational and cultural. You said sure. one thing that's quite interesting, mate, that within bigger organisations, and I actually don't think it's limited to bigger organisations, but within certain organisations, you get subculture within a culture. So you use the example of, of a, a Kiwi manager. Mm. Do you think people always feel that they have the autonomy to develop their own culture? Uh. Some of the organisations I've been involved with, yes. Yeah. And others, no. Um, and obviously not naming names, but again, I think it's based on that particular culture of the organisation mm. and the generation. Yeah. Gap, especially when you go through someone that might be a little bit older and obviously bringing in these young, energetic managers yeah. that are not allowed to do... What yeah. they were actually employed to do, yeah. but and some organisa- some organisation it works. And I think the ones that are good, obviously, are the ones that kind of let those things happen. Everyone falls in line with the same vision, yeah. and mission of the company, yeah. But within their own departments, the successful departments because they're allowed to express themselves. Correct. It's quite interesting as well because I've seen it a lot where if you don't let people express themselves, but you can't you can't suppress someone from expressing themselves. So if you don't let their positive side come out, what you normally end up with is actually their negative side. Yeah. And, and that's what's quite rife in this part of the world. You've got different sort of what you'd say mafias working within companies that are, that are just so tight and evil. And if someone comes in that isn't on their trajectory, the company doesn't squeeze them out. They squeeze that person out, which sure. is, I don't know if that's only in this part of the world, but I... Yeah. yeah, or people are hired because of they have a previous reputation with someone, which is also fine, but then they yeah. just bring in the same mentality and the same culture, which doesn't help anything or anyone in my, in my personal experiences anyway. Yeah. Maybe in other organisations, I'm not sure. Milosh, I have a question for you. If you were to start a sports team or your own team today, what would be the top three things related to what we've been talking about, culture and environment, that you would say, everyone needs to have this, this, and this. This is my prerequisite. These are my, this is what, what I'm going to use to 
build this team up? Number one, respect. Yeah. To the things there. I mean, we are talking about what team should have. Yeah. Or yeah, uh, your ideal teammate. And it doesn't, because I don't think it's, it's not just, I mean, we're speaking about hotel business. We're yeah. talking about, you know, it's just, these are the core things for a team. Uh, respect, number one. Um, I, I believe that without respect, we cannot talk anything. Yeah. And the respect will build everything around. Uh, I would say love to the things that they're doing, but like love can be very tricky. Sometimes people <laughs> can love things, but they can play around. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so to be honest, like I think respect will be just number one and that's all. Really? Yeah. So you can teach them everything else, basically? Basically, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Uh, lead by example. Mm. So if you just lead by example, it's same what happened in my sport. Like uh, we had so many kids, they just pull out. You know, like you have so many triathlon guys, they try to do triathlon or anything, they just pull out. They don't find themselves over there. Mm. So if you lead by example, I believe everyone will follow. So if it's... I, I, I think this is, this is just my... Yeah. Just one thing, which is respect only. Clarky, top three things that if any team you're going to build in the world, these are the properties or characteristics you want people to have. I think integrity, and I think that covers probably a broad spectrum of different, yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, I think someone or anyone who wants to be successful, there needs to be a willingness to learn. Yeah. Someone coming from environment, maybe new, I think they need to be open to learning new things or, or whatever it might be. And then probably open to feedback, you know, be open to criticism and, and things like that, because some people aren't, and those are the ones that you kind of send out the door pretty quickly. Um, Do you think that's one thing, like when you're creating, uh, it's, it's something that we haven't actually spoken much about, like in like a lot of, you sort of said it with, with, with your handball teammate, like the guy would tell you, you're shit, you're shit, yep. you know, but these days in a lot of teams, no matter what it is, that ability of people to receive feedback, if it's not positive, is quite poor. Yeah. Uh, everywhere even with the members <laughs> yeah here it's terrible you're not squatting low enough fuck you okay you're still not squatting low enough no you know what i mean it's like well what do you do you know i i don't care my life doesn't change if you don't do the exercise properly but i'm just letting you know i think if you're a good person most things can be taught but yeah if you're not and you're not willing to learn or receive feedback and that's both ways as yes. a manager or a, or a company if you're not willing to receive feedback then obviously it's not going to work yeah but i think anyone can be taught anything and i think that's and i used to think about that a lot when working in recruitment like is this person a good person great is she you know does she talk or depending on what the role was mm. we can teach her everything else mm. if the company has their systems and their procedures and their and their stuff in place or they're willing to learn yeah can teach anyone anything yeah so I think if you don't have those top three things in business and sport or life, mm. yeah, I mean, you're fighting open it. mind. Open mind. Someone yeah. has to be open mind. Yeah, as you said, like to learn. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's an awesome conversation, and I think like you just said, mate, and like we said sort of earlier on, it's it's so applicable to the environment that we work in, trying to help people get better, not only 
from it's not us trying to tell people how they should behave, but it's how we should behave as well. And when people are, when we're open to feedback, we're able to coach people better. And when people are open to feedback, we're able to coach them better, for example, and, and respect and integrity and, and all of that. But my last question is, why don't we see it? Because everyone can read the books on, on you know, one of the best books, I think, that's been published about the All, all Blacks is James Kerr Legacy. You know, and it sort of gives all, all of the secrets, like a handbook of how the All Blacks are the most successful sports team almost in history, bar, bar a few. So we all sort of, we can all read it and we can all, it's it, probably what we've spoken about today is not new for a lot of people, but why don't people work on it and implement it into areas of their life? This is the million dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you everyone needs it. If you write a book about it, that's for sure. <laughs> you have a book, but all of us, we need a guide. We need someone to pull us. Yeah. Or someone to push us. Doesn't matter where. Day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Like, uh, when I got the job here, my wife was uh, like, finally, you found your place. Yeah. Like when she heard that you did 24 hours running and you did 24 hours, 36 hours rowing, she was like, finally you found the environment. environment where you belong. So we need someone to look after or someone to look after us. Mm. Or yeah, we need someone to pull our hand. Otherwise we can read as much as books as possible. <laughs> And uh, we can be taught so many things, in my personal opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. Just need someone to keep you on track. And who, who, who knows what's best for you? Or who you hope knows what's best oh, for yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope. We hope. <laughs> Clarky, some final thoughts? I think along your lines, I think the people that have grown up and been influenced by good people become good people. Mm. And then you're able to do all these other things. And it's unfortunate that some people aren't in a situation for whatever reason that um, are not being brought up in that particular way. But they also, those types of people also come out with a mindset that they know that they can do anything because of where they've come from. I just think you have to be open-minded to what's going on. And yeah, it's, the more you think about it, you can just, talk and why did you just not read that book there's got to be something why that when they read that book it doesn't relate to doesn't them. resonate yeah. doesn't yeah. resonate yeah. and it's from past experiences it has to be a million dollar question <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave you with that folks lots of different theories ideas chit chat super insightful guys I, I really appreciate it i think it's it's two really interesting angles on on something like you wrapped up with there mate that there isn't really a definitive answer because everyone reacts in such different ways but i think i've got a few things to think about and hopefully anyone who's listened also has a few things to think about so thank you very much thank you thank you awesome